I know that was a lot, guys, but we're just sort of not wanting you guys to miss out on some stuff. And we've got some stuff in November we're going to be letting you know about. In fact, next week, I got an announcement I want to make to the entire church that I'm excited about as well. All right, let's get into it. Romans chapter 15 this morning. Going through the book of Romans, we only got two weeks left. We finish up Romans 15 this week, and then we do Romans 16 next week, and then we're going to have some great uh, standalone uh, messages before we get into our five-week Christmas series starting on November the 23rd. And again, any Sunday in November and December would be a great Sunday to invite somebody to come with you to the Oasis. Before we get into chapter 15, beginning at verse 14, here's where I want us to start today. If you knew of someone who was very prosperous and successful in what they did, you in some way had some kind of, obviously, admiration for this person. Wouldn't it be great if you could sort of get inside their head and know how they think, what they think about, what their mindset is, what their motivation is? Because to me, if I, if I admire somebody... If, if I think that they do well at what they do, then I want to sort of learn about that. I want to know what makes them tick, because maybe then I can glean some things from their life and how they do life, and it can benefit me. Well, that's exactly what these last couple of chapters of the book of Romans are. Basically, God is allowing us to sort of peek behind the curtain and look into what is Paul's mindset as he ministers and serves the Lord Jesus. And most Christians would say, you know, Paul is somebody that most Christians admire. They admire his Christian life, the way he lived his life, how he served the Lord, how he ministered. And yet here in Romans 15 and 16, we are able through what God did in Paul's life to get a peek into how Paul thought, what he thought about, how he approached things, what was his perspective on life and ministry. And so I hope these last couple weeks that we are together in Romans 15 can really benefit us as we are allowed to sort of glean from someone like the Apostle Paul. It would be like, and I I think I've shared this before, it would be like being in a class with Paul and having him one-on-one say, hey, let me give you what I've learned throughout my Christian life. Here's just some things to think about. I don't know about you, But if that would be possible, I'd sign up for that class. Well, in a sense, we all get the opportunity to sign up for that class for the next couple weeks because that's exactly what God has done with Paul here in Romans 15, beginning at verse 14. The first thing I want you to notice in verse 14 is that Paul always believed in the capability of God's people. Paul always believed in the capability of God's people. Notice what he says in verse 14, writing to a group of Christians, writing to a church that he actually had never been to. But notice what he says about them. I myself am fully convinced, that word means to believe in. I believe in you, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness. We could say compassionate kindness. He says, you are filled with all knowledge, a deeper understanding. And you are able, capable to instruct one another. 
The word instruct there is where we even get the word today for counsel. Paul's saying, you and the church at Rome, you have the absolute capability to counsel one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Now notice something. Paul is not placing his confidence in us as human beings. What Paul is doing here is reminding every Christian that when we accept Christ as our Savior, and God pours out His Holy Spirit into our life, and God gives us His Word, and God gives us His people, that Paul is saying, do we not understand the capability, the potential that we have as Christians That we have way more capability than many times we think of ourselves and give ourselves credit for. Even though the God of the universe lives within us through the Holy Spirit. Even though God has given us His Word and the ability to understand and comprehend and grasp His Word. Every spiritual resource, the Bible says, has been placed into our, you know, reaches as brothers and sisters in Christ. So Paul's saying, I want you to know, Christian, that no matter how you already look at yourselves or not look at yourselves, you have to start looking at yourselves as being absolutely capable of carrying out anything that God asks of you, of being able to meet any of life's challenges, not because we bring all that to the table ourselves, but because now that we've been connected to God through Jesus Christ, we have available to us every spiritual resource in the universe. And God wanted his friends in Rome to know that. Do you know that and believe that today? That even though you may look at yourself as lacking, and I get that, Yet through Christ and through what Christ has done and what Christ gives to us when we accept him as our personal savior, we have absolute capability to meet all of life's demands. We are sufficient through Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul wants fellow Christians to know. That's one of the things that motivated him to do the ministry that he did, to travel to churches, to share God's truth. Because he was saying, so many Christians, even in his day, was living below their potential. And they didn't even have the drive or desire to do more. They were were satisfied where they were. And Paul wants us all to realize that whether we're a local church or whether we're an individual Christian, none of us have reached our potential, our capability yet in Christ. In fact, maybe we haven't even become even a little bit aware of our capability in Christ. And that's why Paul says, so we got to keep going. It's the way I feel about the Oasis. We've, there's been amazing things that God has done in the last almost five years of this church. But I don't, I don't think we've even scratched the surface of the potential that we have as a local church. And I don't think I've scratched the surface of my potential as a Christian in Jesus Christ. I hope you don't feel that way either. Because if you feel like you've reached your potential and, you know, there's no more room to grow and to, to learn and all of that, then the Oasis Church is not for you. Because we're going to be a church, just like Paul says, that always goes back and reminds ourselves that it's to celebrate where we've come and how far we've come and what God has done, but to never become complacent or satisfied because there's always new things to explore and gain with God. And that's what Paul started out this section with 
to his Roman brothers and sisters. Then in verse 15, he says, I have written more boldly to you on some points so as to remind you because of the grace given to me by God. The next point Paul, I think, wants to share is, by the way, I'm not trusting in myself and in what I bring to God to do ministry and service. I am relying and depending on God's grace. God's grace is not just what brings me into a relationship with God. It's what keeps me going. It's what helps me serve and minister for God throughout my life. It's what allows me to live above the circumstances of life and to meet all of life's challenges. It is God's grace. And let's define God's grace again this morning as God's supernatural enablement and empowerment. That's what God's grace is. That's why Paul said to the Corinthians, by God's grace, I am what I am. And Paul wanted them in no uncertain term to think that when Paul was out there living and ministering and serving God, that somehow he was looking within himself. No, he was looking outside of himself for God to dispense his grace into his life. And that's how he served and ministered. In fact, notice he goes on in verse 16 to say, this grace given to me by God is to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. I serve the gospel of God like a priest so that the Gentiles may become an acceptable offering sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Paul says, I minister, I serve by God's grace. He really wanted Christians to realize what we do for God, how we live, how we serve, how we minister should never be done in our own strength, should never be done in our own wisdom and and relying on our own faculties, if you will, and resources, but to go greater than that and to realize that God wants us to live on his level, if you will, at a level that only he can do through us, not on what we can accomplish ourselves. And that was always the heartbeat of Paul. Notice something else very interesting here. Paul, even in the New Testament, says to the Roman Christians, I serve God like a priest. And he goes back into the Old Testament. And why does he use that terminology of serving God like a priest? Because that word, that that idea of being a priest is to be preoccupied with sacred service for God. That's what a priest was. That was his focus. That was his preoccupation. That was all that he thought about in his spare time was his relationship with God and serving God and ministering for God. And I think what Paul's saying here, not to get way out of balance, but Paul's saying as a Christian, we can become preoccupied with a lot of different things in life. And yet Paul, I think, is saying and challenging all of us, shouldn't our our number one preoccupation in life be God? Shouldn't he be and our relationship with him and serving him? Shouldn't that be the greatest preoccupation of our mind and our life and our focus, our bent, our desire? That was Paul. That's beginning to understand. Okay, Paul, now now I see why God used you so much. Now I see why you were so effective in ministry because you put God in his rightful place. You were preoccupied with God rather than allowing all these other things in the world to become your preoccupation. And then notice something else Paul says here. He says, when I served and ministered for God, I wanted it to be one day an offering that I could present to God 
at the end of my life. That's why he says there in verse 16, I am serving so that the Gentiles may become an acceptable offering. God, Paul viewed his life and ministry as an offering to God. Not something to give to God to earn salvation. We cannot earn salvation. It's by grace. But Paul says, as a believer in Jesus Christ, my motivation should be that I want to live my life and love God and serve Him and minister for Him so that at the end of my life, I have an offering, if you will, of people whose lives I've impacted, whose lives I've influenced as an offering to say, God, this was my evidence of my love for you. This is my offering to you for saving me. Here it is, God. An offering to God. We're starting to see this is what made Paul tick. This is what got him up in the morning. This is what kept him connected to God. This is what kept him, you know, in prayer and staying focused and all of that. And we're just through the first couple of verses. So let's move on. Verse 17, Paul says, here's the other thing. I don't ever want to boast or glory or brag about anything except Jesus Christ and the things that pertain to God. He says, if I do something, it's not to bring glory to myself. It's not to raise or elevate myself or draw attention to myself. It's all about reflecting glory to Jesus. He says, so I boast in Christ Jesus about the things that pertain to God. For he says, I will dare not speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in order to bring about the obedience of the Gentiles by word or deed. That phrase is significant too to Paul. What Christ has accomplished through me. See, again, Paul approached his life in ministry at a different level than many Christians today. And even back then. Many Christians today try to approach life in ministry looking again to themselves and within themselves for what can I do? And, and, and however their involvement and all of that in service in ministry, it's what they can accomplish on their own. And Paul's trying to get us all to open our eyes and see... What could God do through you if you just allowed him to? Instead of you and me trying to do what we can do on our own. Paul says, wouldn't it be better to, to, to open that up way farther, further and go, God, I'm going to live in such a way that I'm going to allow you to work through me. So that what you're doing is way more than what I could accomplish on my own. Because I'm just going to let, I'm going to be the channel. I'm going to be the instrument. And I'm just going to let you channel, in a sense, yourself, your power, your life through me. That's the way Paul lived his life. Which is why then Paul says, I can't take any credit for it. Whatever great things people may think that I, Paul, have accomplished in my life, he says, it's not me. It was just me allowing Christ to work through me. And Paul said, I want you Roman Christians, my brothers and sisters, to get that. I want you to capture that because that's going to raise our Christian life from this level, the things that we can accomplish on our own for Christ, all the way up to a much higher level. When we begin to allow God to work through us, to take us places and to do things with our lives that we would have never imagined we could do. But God says, I can do these things through you. And notice Paul goes on to say some of the miraculous things that could have only been true of his ministry by letting God do it rather than him. 
Paul says in verse 19, in the power of signs and wonders, miracles, in the power of the Spirit of God. Paul says, I couldn't bring these things about. The reason my ministry looked the way it was, was because this was God working through me. This wasn't Paul being able to do this. And then Paul goes on to say, so from Jerusalem, even as far as Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Now, this is an important phrase, too, to Paul. When he says, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ, he's not saying, look, when I got to a town, I went from Genesis all the way through Malachi, and I covered everything in the in Old Testament scriptures. No, that's not what he means. I mean, he does mean he shared the word of God with them. We know that. But these words speak about the fact that Paul's life was a demonstration of the gospel. In other words, Paul's saying here, in his mind, to fully preach the gospel isn't just to tell people about what great things Christ can do in someone's life, but to actually live it. To actually be an example and demonstration of what God can do in someone's life. To Paul, that was fully preaching the gospel of Christ. So the challenge there for us, even tying it in with last week's message, is about being people of integrity and tying things together so that we don't say we believe one thing, but we live another. Paul's saying, when we as Christians are called to fully preach the gospel to the world out there, we're not only called to share with them the good news about Jesus Christ and the salvation that we can have through him, but it's to live it out. It's to be a living demonstration of the difference that Jesus Christ can make in one's life. And that's what Paul means by fully preaching the gospel of Christ. The next thing Paul shares in verses 20 and 21 is that he was a pioneer and loved being a pioneer. Not that there's anything wrong with building on other people's foundations, but notice Paul's aim, Paul's ambition. He says, and in this way, I desire to preach where Christ has not been named so as not to build on another person's foundation. But as it is written, those who were not told about him will see and those who have not heard will understand. Again, there's nothing, Paul's not saying, hey, it's wrong to build on what somebody else started. But Paul's saying, for me, I wanted to be a pioneer. You all, even though we're almost five years into the history of this church, you had to be somewhat of a pioneer and, and have that mentality to be a part of the oasis even at this point. Because it won't be until we get our own place and, and we're settled there and, and you know all of that, that there will be people come then who won't come now. And the reason they won't come now is because in their mind, we meet in a school, so we're not really legit yet. I mean, that's what some people have told me. You know, we, we would come, but, you know, you meet in a school, so just not interested. Um, and they don't like the idea of putting in all the work of building something up from the ground. You know, they just want to come in after things are already sort of taken care of and reap the benefits. And not that we're never going to keep growing. We are. But you understand, I think, what I'm saying. So for you, you have to be like Paul in the sense that, yeah, it's a lot, lot more work to build something from the ground up than it is to come into an established ministry where everything's already set. But the thing is, too, that those people will miss the blessing of being part of the pioneer effort here. Like they would miss being the pioneer in any effort because those who are willing to work hard and build something from the ground up, 
there's something fulfilling and satisfying in that, that people who come in after something is established will never know. And that's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, I know it was a lot of hard work to not build on other people's foundations. But there was something fulfilling and satisfying about that pioneer spirit, about going into a a situation where there was really nothing established and we had this sort of fresh dough, if you will, or clay. And we could sort of mold that however we felt the Lord was leading us to do. In fact, that's one of the I hope incentives that I give to anyone who wants to step up and be a ministry leader in this church is that, you know, within obviously certain limits and boundaries, you're going to have the freedom to build your ministry as God is leading you to do. And yeah, it's a lot of work to build ministries from the ground up from nothing. But again, Paul's saying, that's where my heart was at. That's what I wanted to do. That was my aim. That was my ambition. And then notice beginning in verse 22, he talks about how he enjoys so much the company of other believers. In fact, he says, this is the reason, this whole pioneer thing, that I was often hindered from coming to you. But now there is nothing more to keep me in these regions. And I have for many years desired, longed to come to be with you. So Paul says, when I go to Spain, I will. I hope to visit you when I pass through and that you will help me on my journey there after I have enjoyed your company for a while. Literally, the word enjoyed means to drink in. Paul says, I just want to drink in being with you guys in Rome, my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Well, that gives us some insight into Paul, too. In fact, that's going to open up why he is saying the things he does in Romans 16 next week. Because Paul thoroughly, genuinely, sincerely enjoyed being around other believers. He longed to be in the company of his fellow Christians. He desired, he wanted to drink in the fellowship, if you will. The community, the bond, the connection that brothers and sisters in Christ have. And that's one of the things I love about the spirit that's being created here. I love the fact that when welcome time comes, I could let you guys go on forever. and You guys probably would. Uh, you know, and I love that when either before the service, because you come early and you partake of the fellowship before or after a service, there's always groups of you all over the place who are hanging out and you're talking and you're catching up and you're, you're sharing with each other and stuff. You actually are not like many Christians today who just want to come in the back door of a church, sit there in that chair, put in their hour, and race out as quickly as possible and not have any interaction with anybody. And that's Paul. See, Paul to me would have been the kind of guy, Paul would be here today, Paul wouldn't rush out the door or he wouldn't just be here at the last minute. I think Paul would have the mindset that ministry leaders need to always have. And that is that church starts the first person that I see when I set foot on the ground. That would be Paul. That my first interaction I have with a brother or sister, that's when church starts. Not even at 10 o'clock. And Paul wouldn't have been one to go, hey, you know what? I I think Paul would have said, man, I, I get a chance to spend a few minutes with some brothers and sisters in In Chandler, Arizona, I'm hanging out. And I don't know about you, but probably if Paul would literally be here, we wouldn't let him leave, would we? We'd tie him down. You've got to answer all of our questions before we'll let you leave, you know. 
But I don't think that would have been something forced on Paul unless he had a previous engagement because Paul loved being in the company of other believers. Then verse 25, Paul says this. Now I go to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia are pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do this, and indeed they are indebted to the Jerusalem saints. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, they are obligated also to minister to them in material things. Therefore, after I have completed this and have safely delivered this bounty to them, I will set out for Spain by way of you. Paul's making an important point here as well. And that is, in his mind, ministry involves both spiritual things and material things. You note that throughout there? He says, look, you Gentiles have benefited from the spiritual foundation, if you will, of these Jewish brothers and sisters. Now, you know how you can help them? Because they've accepted Jesus Christ as their Messiah. Most of their families and most of their friends have turned their back on them. And that's why they're so destitute. That's why they're so poor. If they were a business owner... In Jerusalem at that time, and they accepted Jesus Christ as their Messiah, their business would have been boycotted by other Jews. And so many of these Jewish Christian brothers and sisters are going through really hard times financially. So Paul says, look, you Gentiles, you shared in the Old Testament heritage, if you will, of our Jewish brethren. The least you can do is when they're in need materially to step up and meet that. That's exactly what the Gentiles did. It was a way also to obviously build community, but Paul's making an important point. He says, look, ministry is not just the spiritual things. It's the physical things. It's the material things as well. In fact, many times, and we've seen this even through our ministries of foster group home or homeless ministry or other things that we do here, that many times by being willing to meet somebody's physical need, it opens up an opportunity to meet their spiritual need as well. And that's what Paul's reminding us of here. Then these last couple verses, notice what Paul says. Now I urge you, verse 30, brothers and sisters, through our Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit to join fervently with me in prayer to God on my behalf. Pray that I may be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea and that my ministry in Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. Notice here, Paul is always seeking the prayers of his fellow believers for his ministry and service. That's important. None of us as Christians should be out there doing ministry and service and and wondering, is anybody praying for me for this? And and let me say this. It is our responsibility too, not to just wait for people to just volunteer, but as a leader, as someone who's ministering, as someone who's serving, to get with somebody and say, would you pray for me? Because that's exactly what Paul did. Paul didn't wait for the Romans to say, hey, Paul, we're remembering you in prayer. Paul said, I want you to pray for me. I need your prayers. I want your prayers. If I go into this situation and I'm not knowing that that the saints are praying for me, Paul said, that's not good. I always want to know people are praying for me. So we can never be too proud to ask people to be praying for us, for whatever We need to start opening up and saying, brothers and sisters, pray for me for this. Pray for that. That was Paul. 
And then we need to be faithful in praying for one another. Also, th- this caught me. Did you notice that Paul is asking them specifically to pray for a couple things? And the one thing that sort of jumped off the page at me was Paul says, I want you to pray specifically that my ministry may be acceptable to the saints. Not to unbelievers. He says, I want you to pray that the Christians will be open to my ministry, to them. That's an important point. Because sometimes we're always praying for the hearts of those that don't know God to be receptive to the gospel and our ministry and all of that. But Paul says, you know what? We also need to pray that as fellow Christians, that we are coming with receptive hearts to what God wants to do. It's one of the things almost every Sunday I'll just share with you that Crystal and Nicole and I pray for as we pray out there in that hallway before the service gets started. That those children and that these adults who come will come with receptive hearts that will be willing to accept our ministry to them that we believe God has led us to do. That's what Paul's praying for here. And he's not afraid to ask Christians to pray. And then secondly, as far as our prayer goes, notice this. The words join fervently in verse 30 are key words. Here's what those words mean. Help by entering the arena and joining the fight. That's significant. In other words, Paul is saying here, do we remember and do we need to be reminded that ministry and service for Christ and trying to live for Christ is a battleground? And we need to be willing as brothers and sisters in Christ to help our brothers and sisters in Christ. Not by sitting back watching them get slaughtered in the Colosseum. And you can understand why Paul would have used these words. They would have very much connected with Christians, especially in Rome. Paul's saying, are we going to sit back and just be spectators and watch these other Christians hit the front lines of the battle? And serve God and minister and just sort of sit back as spectators and not help them by joining in the fight? Paul says that's not, that shouldn't be the way we look at it. That's why Paul lived the way he did. Because Paul did not want any other brother or sister in Christ to feel like he was just going to sit and watch them be thrown to the wolves or the lions or whatever. And just sort of say, you know, I'm, I'm praying for you from a distance, but I'm not willing to participate and join into the fight. It's great to see Christians step up and enter the arena and be willing to be part of the battle that's going to take place. But Paul is saying here, how much more encouraging is it for us as Christians when we feel like we're in the fight? (laughs) We're on the front lines and man, the enemy's just firing shot after shot. And I look around and go, is there anybody around here who's helping me in the fight? And Paul says that's why it's important that we as Christians are willing to enter into the fight and come alongside of our brothers and sisters in Christ and volunteer and serve and minister so that those who are on the front lines, who are doing ministry, don't feel like they're all alone. We're in this together, and we're going to fight through this together. That's why he uses the terms, join fervently. Help by entering the arena 
and joining the fight. And then finally, Paul says, verse 32, so that by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. Now may the God of peace be with you all. Amen. The word refreshed means to be refueled, replenished. It is a great picture of why we believe in the whole concept of a local church being an oasis in a desert. Because Paul is saying here, I constantly and continually sought refreshment from my brothers and sisters in Christ. I wasn't out there trying to serve and minister and be at the front lines of the battle and entering the arena and going through all that and not feeling like I needed to be replenished or refueled or refreshed in some way. He said, no, I need refreshed. And so Paul's saying, I want you to know that when I get to Rome, after what I've been through, I want you to know that I'm coming to be refreshed by you. And hopefully I'll be a refreshment to you as well. That's why we need to be part of a group of Christians where we feel like we've got a place to go to be refueled, replenished, and refreshed. Because for those who are out there in the world and on the front lines of the spiritual battle and you're fighting and you're in the arena and you're going through what you're going through, you must be refreshed. Paul needed to be refreshed. And Paul was maybe the greatest Christian who ever lived. So how do we ever think that we don't need to be refreshed? I don't need to be part of a local body of believers where I'm continually refreshed. Well, Paul said he needed to be continually refreshed. Yeah, but I, I don't, I don't need, I, I can do it on my own. I think we kid ourselves. That's why, again, we've taught for many years here I want people to be a part of this church who, when they do get involved in ministry and service, they minister out of the overflow. Not like a lot of churches where you you got nothing and you're basically ministering out of nothing and you get burned out and you get so discouraged and so filled with despair that many people and some of you even still struggle with this. And I get it. You got so depleted that you, you're scared to even get back into ministry and service because you're, you're afraid that's exactly going to happen again to where you just get sucked dry. Now, part of that is the church places too much on people sometimes. But the second thing is it's all of our responsibility to make sure that we are getting refreshed in some way. That's our responsibility. I even, as the pastor of this church, I can't expect you to somehow always be refreshing me. I've got to make sure it's my responsibility before God that I'm being refreshed in some way and that I figure out how to be refreshed. Just like Paul. Because none of us can live for Christ, serve Christ, minister for Christ without continual refreshment. I want people to always come to a church like this and be able to go, ah. And that's why also some of you have come here and you've come from other places where you just got totally burned out. And you'll say something like, you know, I want to serve, I want to minister, but I just feel like I just need to sit and soak up and be refreshed for a while. I'm like, I'm fine with that. That you may be in a season where you just need to come and be 
and just soak in and get built back up again before you get back into the fight. But I will say this. There does come a point where as we are being refreshed and replenished and refueled, where it is our obligation and responsibility and Christian duty to join our brothers and sisters back in the fight and to be willing to enter that arena and help. Notice in closing these words. Verse 28, 29. Paul says, Therefore, after I have completed this and have safely delivered this bounty to them, I will set out for Spain by way of you. And I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of Christ's blessing. Notice here that Paul lived his life confident of Christ's support in verse 29. He believed in the sufficiency of Christ and in the support of Christ for what he was doing. How key is that? How many Christians may be doing ministry or serving or whatever, even in the name of God, or trying to live for God, but if if you were to ask them, are you sure Christ is supporting you and behind what you are doing? I don't know. Well, that's not good. See, Paul is giving us an example that what he was involved with, he knew Christ was behind him. He knew Christ was going to support him. And that makes all the difference in the world. Because notice two here, two words. Paul was a man of I wills, not I won't. Notice twice in those verses, Paul said, I will. And that's one of the things I think that separates him from many Christians down through history. As many of us, sometimes God is asking us of something and we say, I won't. And we know that to be true through the Bible. God went to Moses and said, Moses, I want you to deliver my people from Israel. No, I won't. Paul was not an I won't guy. Paul was an I will guy. Because Paul understood something through his Christian life. Christians technically can't say they can't. Like I've been involved, obviously, as a pastor for 30 years, met met with different people. I've had many people sitting across from me who will say, Pastor, I can't do that. And I try to gently say, well, if you're a Christian, that's technically not true. That's why Paul said, I can do All things through Christ who strengthens me. For the Christian, it's really not a matter of can't. It's a a volitional thing. It's a matter of the will. It's not that I can't do it. It's that I won't do it. And what Paul is showing us here, how he lived and approached life, is it was never a question of I won't. It was a question of I will, God. So as we close today, here's what I want to ask you. What is it that God wants you to say, I will to? Not I won't anymore, not I can't, because we've already seen we're fully capable. We've got all this potential that might be untapped, but it's there. So it's not a matter of I can't do it. It really comes down, if I'm honest, to saying I won't do it. And many times what God then has to do is work on our will to where we get to a place where we say, like Jesus even modeled for us, not my will, God, your will. I will, God, I will. That's the way Paul lived. What is it that God wants you to say, I will to today? Let's pray. God, in just a moment, Each of us is going to have 
an opportunity to respond to you in some way. And God, again, I pray that all of our hearts would be open and receptive to what you want to do in our lives. And if there's a situation in our lives where you've been asking us or calling us or inviting us to do something, and we keep saying, I can't or I won't, would we consider through the Word of God today and through the Spirit of God today, moving right here, right now, would we consider moving to that place where we say, I will. Many times as believers, we overly focus on the things that we did wrong that we shouldn't have done. But we don't equally focus on the things that we should be doing that we're not doing. And that's where I want us to just focus for a few moments today. I don't care whether it's because you think you're going to fail, that somehow you've disappointed God in the past and you're afraid you're going to disappoint Him one more time. God is saying to you today, I don't know what your excuse is, what your motivation is, why you're saying you can't or you won't, but God is saying to all of us today, will you consider saying, I will, to me, to God. So use this time, God, of response to bring us all in line with you and your will in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand, please, as we sing? If some of you want to come down here and just pray and just say, God, by coming here, I'm saying, I will, whatever that is, you come as the Spirit of God is leading you to come.